Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning, good morning. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 1 John. And we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. And we're continuing our series, Light and Love. In 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be in verse 7. So go ahead and turn there. And once again, you see John, throughout this letter, makes a big deal of love. Almost like it's of utmost importance. And so we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. If you have a hard time finding it, we've got a table of contents. Feel free to use it. No shame in that. That's why it's there. Or just go all the way to the back of the Bible and start working your way forward. You'll get there sooner than later. Amen? All right. We're here to help. Hey, we've got a lot of ground to cover. And a short time to get there. If that rings a bell in you, it may show how old you are. Okay? So, anyway. Verse 7. 1 John 4, verse 7. We're going to jump right in this morning. It says this. And before we get there, I know we got some note takers. almost got too ahead of myself. I'm excited to be here. I, I took a week off, you know. Praise God for Mark and, and his teaching last week. And so I got to worship with my family. It was amazing. And I'm ready to get going. So, uh, if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Standard of Love. Standard of love. Now we can get to verse 7, all right? Amen? Here we go. 1 John 4, verse 7 says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is, what's it say? Love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. And so it begs the question, as we see this passage, why is understanding love so difficult? Why is it so difficult? When I look, go to dictionary.com, it gives three different different definitions of what love is. And I'll read them. This is this. One, love is a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. Number two, love is a feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection as for a parent, child, or friend. And number three, love is a sexual passion or desire. We're pretty confused about love is, aren't we? I mean, does all that really capture what love is? I came across a couple articles this week. One article said this, love can vary in intensity and change over time. Another article said this, the complexity of love has much to do with how people experience it differently and how it can change over time. That's interesting to me. And that drives the thought of you can fall in love and fall out of love, right? I mean, love can change as, as we get to know each other and love more. And I experienced that with my wife. We love each other more than I did 20 years ago, for sure. So I know we're better. We spend more time together. Our love grows. But do we fall out of love too? Is that what love is? And then we have this mantra that continues just to permeate throughout our culture, that love is love. 
What does that mean? I mean, you can't define it in the definition, right? You can't. That's basic school principles. It's a fluid understanding of love based on our feelings, emotions, and experience. So does that really define what love is? And so it begs the question again, why is understanding love so difficult? Well, I think we're looking for love in all the wrong places. Again, you can tell who listens to what music. Listen. But it's true. Think about how you've experienced love and how you've come to know love. It starts when we were a kid. We looked to our parents for love. And many of you have fantastic parents, I'm sure. But your parents are still imperfect at their finest. And so you still get an imperfect understanding of what love is. And as we grow, we start experiencing love maybe through friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives. And you see still the imperfection of what love is. And we start looking at our culture around us who is just amazingly confused about love is, says every different thing. And so we get frustrated and we take all of our experiences and our relationships and then we look inside ourselves and figure out what love is based on what we think it is. And so it's no wonder why we're so confused about love. So I submit to us, basically what we see here, is to understand what true love is, we have to look at the love expert. Now, Dr. Ruth, I don't know what you're thinking. Fellas, don't stand up. Not talking to you either. Like I knew I came for a reason today. Here's my opportunity. No. The love expert. I came across another website that you can ask the love expert some love questions for as low as $5 a month, right? This is a bargain. So I signed up. No, I didn't sign up. But we look at this text. There's only one expert of love. God. The only person ever to be characterized by his nature as love. God is love. You see in verse 18, we'll see it again in verse 16. That's who he is by nature. So maybe, going out on a limb here, we should maybe start with understanding love by starting at who is love. You know, in preparation, I was reminded, my, my wife and I have this running joke. A few years ago, several years ago, my mother-in-law wanted to buy a futon for her spare bedroom. And so my wife and my mother-in-law went on this adventure for the whole day trying to find a futon. So they go to Value City, Haverty's, Haynes, all these furniture stores. And finally, when all hope was lost because they did not find the futon, they finally came to a store that had the perfect futon available. The store's name? Futon King. So I told my wife, you know what, if that was me... I probably would have started with the futon king if I'm looking for a futon. Maybe that's just me. But isn't that what we do? We look for love in all these different places. Maybe we should start where love is, who God is, who established, created love, who exudes perfect, complete love. Maybe we should start there. And so in God we see what love is, and in God we see what love does as we look to the cross. You see in verse 10, it says, not that we love, but God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. This is the standard of love. God loved us first. And take that step further, so we get a full context of what that means. Romans 5, verse 8 tells us that God proves his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So imagine that. Even when I didn't deserve it, 
Christ died for me. And I gave him a lot of reasons to reject me throughout my life. I've messed up a lot of times. Every reason available, he could have looked at just one, and it had been enough for him to reject giving me his love, ultimately dying for my sins. But yet he didn't. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He proves his love. And so we see this atoning sacrifice really is propitiation. Simply put, the payment that satisfies. It's interesting. When you look at all the world religions, they're all trying to satisfy a God. And all these world religions will say, you have to do this and this, and we hope that one day God will be satisfied with my efforts. What the Bible says is that God isn't satisfied with any of your efforts. Completely dissatisfied with all of your efforts. Isaiah says your good works like filthy rags. If we really understood the gravity, really what you're saying? Talking about menstrual cycles and rags, right? About as impure as you can get in that time frame. And that's what our good works are to God. So the only payment that satisfies was Jesus living the perfect life that we couldn't live, dying the death that we couldn't die to satisfy the payment for sin, which is death. Raising from the dead the third day, conquering sin and death, so that everyone who would believe in him has eternal life through him. Because we couldn't do it, he did it. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, about Jesus who did not know sin became sin for us so that we might become righteousness, have a right standing. You know, if you've been around kids at any length of time, you'll hear the phrase, that's not fair. That's not fair. I said, I know, give me your ice cream. That's not fair, right? And I, it's true. Like, there's a lot of things in life, let's just be honest, that are not fair. Can we praise God that his grace isn't fair? Giving us something that we don't deserve. His love isn't fair. Loving us when we were completely unlovable. I praise God. And that should send us in a heart of worship that he didn't give us what we deserve. But he gave us grace. So you want to know love? Look to God. You want to know how to love? Look to the cross. This is a standard of love. In verse 11, as followers of Jesus, we must also love one another in this way. This is the standard of love. And this kind of love, when you live out this kind of love, begins to make the invisible God visible through you to those around you. Which leads us for verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how that we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Once again, we see the standard of love to which we are to love others is Jesus. That's the standard we see here. The world's Savior. You know what a Savior does? Anybody know? He saves people. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's right there. You know, we, we like a good Avengers movie. And every time, what happens in an Avengers movie? I, the next one hasn't even come out yet. I don't know if they're making it, but if it does, I know what's going to happen. The world's going to need saving. 
There's going to be an adversary. The world's going to be helpless. The Avengers will come in. They'll start saving the day until one point to where it seems like, oh my goodness, they're actually going to lose this one, right? Isn't that what happens every time? This is finally not going to happen. The world's going to come to an end. And yet, they end up conquering, saving the day. The world's saved. Next episode, right? This is the way it works. We need saving. This is the point. The world's savior. We are helplessly stuck, and there's an adversary coming at us. It reminds me when I was looking forward to next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and looking back at what Jesus did. The disciples. The Messiah, the Christ, is finally here. And then what? Crucified. Dead. Buried. Three days. What just happened? What are we going to do now? They hid for fear of the Jews. But then the third day, the resurrected Lord came back to life, proving that he was who he said he was. Proving payment accepted, the payment that satisfies the world's Savior. And I think the best phrase in all of the Bible is verse 15. And you see over and over throughout the Bible, whoever, whoever confesses Jesus. I love the word whoever. You know, we live in a culture that screams inclusivity and rejects in a hatred type way anything that seems exclusive. Like Jesus. I mean, Jesus is pretty exclusive. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Pretty exclusive statement. But I would argue that the Bible is far more inclusive than exclusive. Why do I say that? I'm glad you asked. It would be awkward if you didn't. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. It's pretty inclusive. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So all have sinned and all earn by the wages death. That's pretty inclusive. Would you agree? Pretty inclusive. All is a lot of people. Jesus, his own statement was pretty inclusive. John 3.16, I think we get so numb to it, but the power of that statement is tremendous. Jesus said, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son that whoever or everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone who believes. Pretty inclusive. And amazingly, at the moment you believe, life begins. Jesus says it's the abundant life. Not the abundance of stuff, the abundance of Jesus. And that changes everything. True life begins at the moment you believe. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2 that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me at the moment you believe. So the question is, what's the primary evidence of Christ's presence in you? Let me tell you a couple things that's not. And not that these are bad things. Going to church, going to worship, you being here is not primary evidence of Christ's presence in you. Do you know what? Serving, it's not. Speaking of tongues, might hit on a nerve, it's not. The gift of prophecy is not. And so I think this is what Paul, he, he uses hyperbole in 1 Corinthians 13. But he's driving some, the same point home. So these things are not. I'll just read it to you. 1 Corinthians 13, 3 says, If I speak of human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and all understanding of mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have all faith, so we're going to move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions, and I give my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. What's the greatest evidence of Christ's presence in you? It's love. It's love. It's the greatest presence of the Holy Spirit's working in you. It goes Galatians 5, right? The gifts of the Spirit, or the, the fruit of the Spirit. What does that look like? The first fruit of the Spirit listed is what? Love. Love. Then gives you eight other ones, but we start with love. So it begs the question, what about those times when you've been unloving or are just completely unable to love someone? Maybe you are complete, complete in love and perfect in love. You guys are a great church. But there's people out there, believe it or not, that actually have unlovable moment, moments. I have these moments to where I don't love like I ought to or am completely unloving in how I talk or treat others. And it's okay if I'm by myself. It's all right. I'm just going to vent to you a little bit. When I was looking at my own day, it's amazing. There is an extinguishing that we can do in our life. What do I mean? First Thessalonians 5.19 tells us, don't stifle. Your translation may say grieve, or no, um, quench, quench the Holy Spirit. It means extinguish. Now I want you to catch this for a second. The sovereign God of the world dwells in you, and yet we can quench, extinguish the Holy Spirit. Does that not amaze you? And I do it every day to some level. I was thinking about my, my, my routines of the day. My, my sweet spot of my day, right, when I am just sacrificially loving everyone, is somewhere between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. in the morning. Because I wake up about 5.30, so I need 30 minutes of coffee. So maybe not so much there. And 6 and 8, I'm, I should use my, my time with the Lord without people. And then my day starts. And the grind of the day starts. And the worries, and the stresses, and the fears, and anxieties, and my selfishness, and people, right? It's been said, ministry would be easy if it weren't for the people. Not y'all. Y'all are perfect. But think about your own workplace, your own school life. Think about how much easier these things would be if it weren't for the people. And these things grind on us throughout the day. And so I don't know about you, but about, about time 5, 6, 7 o'clock, I'm kind of spent and for my day, that's really getting started. Our family dynamics, right? We, we're pretty busy. But I find my fuse getting shorter. In those moments, I can tell that my standard of love, because I've been quenching the Holy Spirit, begins to shift from sacrificial to self-centered. In those moments in my life, I know there's a proximity issue. Specifically, I've moved closer to my selfishness and away from my Savior. If I'm honest, I know church is no place for honesty, but we're going to try for it a little bit. If I'm honest, this is what happens. Because look at verse 16. Again, God is, what's it say? Love. You can participate. Be all right. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. And this love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. 
There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because, what's it say? He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. And I'll pause here because at this point, I just wonder what it would have been like to be around the Apostle John. I just wonder. I just have this, this, this thought of his wife walking in and says, Honey, does this tunic make me look fat? Yes. I think that's just how John operated. Like, point blank, this is the truth. Yes. Well, thanks a lot. That's what we see in this. If you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. If you say you love and hate your brother or sister, guess what? You're a liar. Like, there's no black, there's no gray area. And it's interesting, when it comes to the Bible, it's God used men with their characteristics influenced by the Holy Spirit to write what we have. Infallible, inerrant, true. But he uses people. Go on in verse 20, it says, For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must love his brother and sister. Let me ask this. Raise your hands. Anyone ever been not loving to someone? You raise your hand. Okay, so everybody else is a bunch of liars. Thank you. Thanks for, I just want to see who needs to repent today is what we're going at. Yes. And so what does that mean in those unlovable moments? Does that mean we've never experienced a life-changing love of Christ? Maybe. But most likely, again, we go back to the proximity issue. Do you see the word remain there? Remain is a relational term. We see in John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. In simplest term, remain means stay close. Stay close. I think we get in trouble when we confuse proximity to Jesus for productivity for Jesus. Again, going back to what I said earlier, man, I do all these things. I go to church every Sunday. I serve with Courage to Care Outreach on Saturdays. I go to my D group. What's wrong? Those are all good things. But without love, without experiencing the love of Christ, without proximity remaining in him, staying close to him, all those things don't transform you. They can de they're definitely good things. I want you to hear those great things, but they flow out of love for God, not earning love from God. It's a complete difference. The more you remain close to Jesus, the more you'll be able to love like Jesus. That standard of love that we're called, commanded to have. Again, God is love. 8 and 16, right? Verses 8 and 16. So does it follow if we may remain close to him? Pursue him? That we become more like him? This is the sanctification process, by the way, that we're all on. We're all on this journey that's over time, not overnight, but we're all being made more and more like Christ. But we're called to remain close to him. And John references, really, in various ways, Jesus' command in John 
13:34. He says, I give you a new command, love one another. Here's the catch. Just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. And this is a command. And so our family last year, you know, I, I learned a lot about the Lord as a father parenting kids. And I just get really frustrated that my kids fight. Like, it really grieves me, to be honest. I can't stand my kids fighting with each other. I desire, I desire for this, maybe your, your family is just perfect in this Garden of Eden type atmosphere, but mine's not. My kids argue and bicker, and, and it grieves me. And so we made an acronym, because I know Mark last week had this great acronym, FALSE, right? How you identify a false teacher. And so in all my humility, I couldn't let Mark outdo me with his acronym game. So I had to, create, I had to bring ours. But I learned something from last week. You're all a bunch of cheaters, so I ain't going to put mine on the screen. I saw y'all. Y'all act like you knew it reading off the screen. But love, we created this acronym last year. So I'll give it to you. So L stands for looking out for one another. Looking out for one another. Philippians 2.4 says everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. So we look out for one another. O Observing and correcting one another. Galatians 6.1 says, If someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. So we're observing and correcting one another. V. Valuing one another higher than yourself. Valuing one another higher than yourself. Philippians 2.3 tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Valuing one another higher than yourself. And finally, E, encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. Hebrews 12, 24. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together as some in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we look out for one another. We observe and correct one another. We value others higher than ourselves, and we encourage one another. So the question is, are you falling short occasionally of God's standard of love? Yeah. If, yeah. We do. But here's the point. The proof of the evidence of the Holy Spirit is the desire to love in this way. We're going to fall short, but do you desire to love people sacrificially even when they don't deserve it? Do you see when you've fallen short, and does it grieve you driving to repentance, saying, Lord, I don't want to be like that. I desire to love. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit to love the unlovable. So it's evidence that we're in Christ. And number two, having that desire to love the unlovable is evidence and gives us confidence that we can stand in Christ at the day of judgment. That's a quick reference that we saw there. We have no fear and no condemnation because Romans 8.1, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we stand in all confidence knowing that we are a child of God through faith alone in Christ alone by his grace alone and have been changed, born again, and being continually shaped in the image of Christ. And so when he does return, we have confidence. We don't have any fear because God's perfect in love, displayed on the cross. And it begs the question, do you have this confidence in Jesus? You. Do you have this confidence? 
1 John 5, verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children. We love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commandments are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is a victory that we have conquered the world, our faith. So let me ask this. When you see the term everyone here, do you know what it means in Greek? Anybody know? Look at y'all. You're all so smart. Everyone. Isn't that amazing? Everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. This is what the gospel is so incredible, but yet it's so offensive. It's so inclusive that it offends many. Let me give you an example, because I know you need an example, so I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give it right out of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11 says this. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. To which you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. And it says this. And some of you used to be like this. Meaning, we were, and sometimes if we're honest, are on this list. But it says this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And so know the ball is very inclusive. And let's slow down on maybe being so quick to condemn people. Right? That's a sin, condemning people. Do you know that? That's the don't judge part is con- condemnation. That's not our role. Because we're all there and we're all still going through this journey. We're all on this list. But by God's grace, he saved us in our muck and mire and mess of our lives. So this gives you confidence because I don't know what you're going through or what someone you know is going through, but never give up on them and never give up on yourself because you cannot clean yourself up enough to come to Jesus. You never will be. You bring your adulteries, your murders, your drunkenness, your drug abuse, you bring all that junk with you. You do. Anything else is heresy. I know this almost sounds like heresy. Everything else is heresy. If anyone says you got to do this before you come to Christ, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus is the only sacrifice that satisfied God. You come to God and let him do the rest. You come to God and surrender your temptations, to surrender those things that you've been caught up with. Because only he can change those desires. We talked about in our young adults gathering the other night of things that we now don't do that we used to do. And I asked, why? Why don't you do those things that you used to do? Well, God's changed our desires. I don't like those things I used to do. It's not I'm trying to earn God's love by not doing certain things. I obey and keep his commands because I love him. It's not what you've done. That's what I want to see in this list. It's not what you've done. It's what Jesus did. And that moment on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. To Tetelestai means paid in full. The debt that was owed has now been paid. 
forever. That's the beauty of what Christ did for us. That's the love standard that we see. And we see Jesus' perfect obedience led to his perfect sacrifice, paying sin's full price. To which Jesus would say, all who would follow me, because he gave an example for us to follow, he says, if you love me, in John 14, you will keep my commands. And I hear the comments or question quite a bit in various ways of what commands are we supposed to keep, right? And there's a good heart posture behind that most of the time. Because you want to live in a way that pleases God. But sometimes it's like, what can I get away with? And that's what we usually, like, what can I do? Like, where's the line and how close can I get to it? It's not what we're talking about here. We long to keep God's commands. And that's the difference between religion and relationship. I know we've been talking about that, but it's so true. The religion and relationship. Religion says that you have to do something to be loved. And that's where commands are burdensome. You have to do these things to earn God's love. But the relationship says that you do these things from being loved. Not to be loved, but from being loved. That's why they're not a burden. I don't obey Christ. They're not burdensome because I do because I love Christ. I do things for my wife because I love my wife. I do things I hate to do, but I almost enjoy them almost because I love my wife. I'm not trying to earn her love. I'm doing it out of an overflow of love for my wife. We forget God's a relational God that we're able to have a relationship because of Christ Jesus and what he did and through our faith at Supplied. But if we're asking a question, what commands are we supposed to obey? I would go to Jesus' top two. And I love in Matthew 22, the expert of law says, you know, what's the greatest? And he's trying to trip up Jesus. What's the greatest command? And what's Jesus say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Love God. But then as any good teacher and preacher would, he says, but there's another one, right? This ain't done yet. I'm going to answer a question that you didn't ask. He says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And in Luke 10, we see Jesus clarify who the neighbor is. It's everyone. It's the unlovable. It's the lovable. It's everyone in between. He uses a case of a Samaritan. And he picks out the racism issue of the day. Everyone. So we're to love God. Now, the overflow of our love for God, only then can we really love others, including those who are unlovable. And this is God's standard of love that was demonstrated through Jesus, which is completely countercultural, nonsensical, and ultimately unfair. God displayed his love, the standard of love on the cross for us. And in this way, we're to love one another. So I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I know when we start thinking how we love, first let's stop to think how we've been loved. So we're going to have the time of response and prayer. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and we're going to continue worshiping. But a couple things I want you to consider and see how the Holy Spirit's working right now in this room, in your life. One, have you been able to rest in the love of God? Have you really fully come to know as best as we can the amazing love that Christ has for us, has given for us? Only then can we love others when we see how much God loves you and has done everything 
to show that, to prove that. Do you believe that? And flowing from that, are there people in your life that you're having a difficult time loving? Are there people in your life that you're withholding love from? I'm praying the Holy Spirit just moves and convicts our hearts in that way. Because how in the world can we withhold love from someone when God gave you his amazing love when we didn't deserve it? And there's some hard people to love. I'm one of them. Let's strive to love and remaining close to Jesus. But if you're here and have yet connected your knowledge of Christ to your faith in Christ, I encourage you to do that right now. Knowing how amazing God's love is for you and that while we're sinners, Christ died for us so that we can have a relationship with him. Everyone was created in his image yet. We've been separated by sin. But Jesus paid the price for our sin. Died and rose again. So everyone who believes in him, everyone, no matter your background, your experiences, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And that life starts at the moment you believe and lasts forever. This is the confidence that we have in Christ. Have you transferred your head knowledge to heart faith? And so we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to allow time, just a response for you to pray. And you respond to what God's doing right now in your heart. Maybe there's some unforgiveness. Let God resolve that. Maybe there's some hurts where only God can heal. Let God do that. You respond. So I'm going to pray. And the band is going to lead us in another song. Listen, you respond how God is leading you. And so maybe that you continue to pray in your seat. Maybe you gather a couple people around you and just pray as we sing. We'll have a prayer team over there. We'd love to pray with you and pray for you. But you respond as the Lord leads and not what other people are doing around you. You respond in obedience. Tell God's leading. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. It is no accident that you brought us here with all our struggles, with all our stresses, with all our anxieties, with all our fears, with all of our hurt. Lord, right now I just ask that you wash your love over us. Remind us on how much you love us. Let us rest in your amazing love. Lord, lead us in this time. Lord, as we rest in your love, as we come just to focus on your amazing love for us in Christ Jesus, reveal to us if there's areas in our life that we've withheld love. Are there areas or people in our life that we are being unlovable towards? Are the things that we need to do, maybe right now or starting today, to take those steps towards hurt that we've caused by being unlovable? And Lord, I ask that you lead us because we need you to produce this type of love in us and through us. Let us not lean on our own strength to love those who are hard to love. Let's not lean on our own strength to receive the love that you've given us because we recognize that we're hard to love. 
Let the facts of your truth shape our feelings of what you did for us. Or to stir in a heart to be a people who genuinely love you and then love others. Making you visible to a world that so needs you in their lives. Lead us in this time where we respond to what you're doing, your presence, and your working. We pray this in the highest name, the most beautiful name, the name that is a picture of love. That is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.